Hello and welcome to the Financial Marketeer interview series. It's our first episode of 2022, so Happy New Year and thanks for joining us. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Ron Benegby. Ron is a serial entrepreneur who is in the process of launching his fifth startup, Uplink. Born out of a love of small business and on a mission to make it easier for lenders to lend to small businesses, Ron talks me through the process of launching his new company. We also talk about Ron's experiences that have brought him to where he is today and what he sees as the most important factors in launching a successful startup. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation with an experienced business development expert and founder. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Um, there's lots I want to run through with you on, in this conversation, um, but I thought a good place to start would be your latest um, startup, so Uplink. It'd be good to hear kind of the story behind that and, and what, what, what you're aiming to do. Yeah, so well, First of all, thanks for having me. Excited to be here, Paul. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about Uplink. Uplink is my fifth, and as my wife has said to me many times, last startup. So we have to be, you know, clear about that. Um, and basically, what we're doing is we've created uh, a technology that we're offering to small business lenders um, that's based on science and validated data points that enables them to make better decisions around small business lending. Now, I want to be clear, we're not a, a decision engine. We're really more of an analytics and recommendation tool. But our technology is based off of 15 years of running different programs um, through different um, different business models and then leveraging those models and leveraging that information uh, to basically create uplink. So we're really excited about it. Um, when we launch, nobody's going to have a technology like this in the market. So, and we've gotten tremendous feedback from, you know, potential customers, uh, partners, investors. So um, that's what we're doing in a nutshell in uplink. To, to just give you a bit of a background, though, on that, because you'd asked, you know, how did I get involved in that? First and foremost, I'm an immigrant to Canada from many, many years ago. And I know it's hard to believe that I came to Canada in the early 70s because I look so young. And I appreciate you you saying that, Paul. Um, but, you know, we were, we, were, we were poor. My dad went and baked bread at night and he had to put food on the table and he went to to Royal Bank in the early 70s and he asked him for a small business loan to which the banker said um, you know Mr. Benegby you don't really qualify with respect to our lending criteria but I believe in people and here's $5,000 and that $5,000 became the springboard for our family's success and life in Canada and so Small business is something that's just very meaningful and personal to me and what we've seen happen in this world over the last 18 plus months where it's devastated the small business owner. I go out to my, you know, locally on the street here and I see 20% of the shops are are boarded up and, and quite frankly, it's heartbreaking. So if if there's something that we can do at Uplink to really help lenders better understand risk profiles as related to small business 
and then help them generate additional loans and basically put money in the hands of small business, um, you know, I, that's something that's going to benefit all of us and not just um, locally, but at a global scale. So that's really the, the story behind Uplink. Okay. And, and what you mentioned previously that it, there's a number of years of work that's, that's gone into the stuff you're doing. How, when did you, when did this become moved from being an early idea into something you were actually working on? Is it something that's been in place for a long time? No. So, you know, it's an interesting story because I had co-founded another company in early 2020 that basically leveraged accounting information, um, wrapped some analytics around it uh, for these exact same reasons and purposes. And uh, to be candid, I just stopped drinking the Kool-Aid late last year um, because the DNA profile of the small business owner today is completely different than it was three to five years ago. Most small businesses are micro small businesses. They they don't have accounting systems, or if they do, they're definitely not accurate. So how do you leverage information that is not based on a scientifically validated foundation to develop analytics around that? I just didn't, didn't, it just didn't resonate with me. So I ended up leaving the company and uh, as I started thinking about how are we going to solve this problem and really help lenders with data that they can take to the bank, so to speak, no pun intended. And uh, just by chance, I was introduced to my co-founder, Patrick Riley, um, uh, who runs a company out of Atlanta. And we just started the chat, and Pat is one of the elite mathematicians out there. And if you know the story of John Nash, uh, an elite mathematician in the U.S. from A Beautiful Mind, he's John Nash. And basically what we've done at Uplink is um, we are leveraging the work that Pat and his team have done over the last 15 years and bringing it to Uplink. So that is how Uplink has really accelerated to market with the product and with the science behind the product um, that we're able to claim. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. So, um, I mean, you mentioned early on in the conversation that this is your fifth startup. Um, how did you get started in the first place in, in kind of starting your own businesses and where did you learn that kind of process? Oh, I mean, you're asking me to go back a long time. I don't know if I remember that far back. You know, uh, here's what I'll tell you. It's, um, I think it's, it's just something that's always been inherently in me. Um, like I said, my dad, you know, when we came here we to Canada, we were, we were dirt poor. My dad started a business and then, you know, he started a few others. My mom, same thing. She actually started, um, knocking on people's doors in the winter of 74 here in Toronto. Uh, and by the way, that's not a, an exactly pleasant thing to do here. If you've ever been in Toronto in February, not, not, not recommended and ask people if, uh, Hey, do you want to sell your house? And she built a really nice small business real estate services company out of there. So I've really grown up in a small business family my entire life. Um, And then accordingly, my professional successes and failures have come with a small business owner. So I I would tell you that it's not like I went to school for it and said, hey, you know, I want to pick this as a profession. 
my mom and my parents wanted me to go to law school. I considered that for a time, but it um, did some banking for a while. Like I'm like worst banker on the planet. Um, but it's just something inherently that was in my DNA, and eventually it came out. Yeah, yeah. In terms of uplink, then, so you're you're in a sort of it's fair to say a soft launch phase at the moment. Is is that right? You're kind of the company's kind of still in planning. What 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 are the steps you're going through at this stage to, to get things ready for a, for a full launch? Yeah, so we're, you know, we have a product that's actually built and, you know, there's an entire story behind that, but but I won't bore you with the details. We're, we're simply um, repurposing it for uh, our needs. So it's not a, it's not a huge process, but, it, you know, it is a process. We're currently um, recruiting and building out our team. So we've got a few roles that are open right now. Some are with search firms. Um, so that'll get us to early part of the new year. And then at that point, we'll be in a position to, you know, go from what we call a soft launch to more of a formal launch where we'll have a website up and running, uh, et cetera. We are going to put up a landing page in about a week, um, but do more of a formal launch in, in early in the new year. Mm-hmm. Okay, and from a from a marketing and communications point of view, what what are the because you can't unless you've got loads of resources, you can't kind of do everything at the stage of launch. What are the things you prioritize? Well, you know, I'll tell you this as a founder, and whether it's Uplink or you know any other company, you know, founders, and I think most founders would be able to relate to this. We we're continuously strapped with lack of resources, both human and financial. So we have to do a lot with the very little that we have. Um, and we have to be very creative and resourceful about it. So, you know, in my case, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, um, you know, cause I'm a couple of years older, only like two or three than most of the, you know, founders today, the millennial founders, I'm only, you know, three years older than them. I've been able to establish, you know, a great network globally. Um, and from that, leverage those resources and networks in order to start spreading the word. Um, and I can do that as related to customer opportunities, uh, partner opportunities, um, and again, I've had the, the good fortune of building out this relationship network over the last few years, and a number of them have come on as advisors, and accordingly, they open up their networks. So, you know, we're, we're just trying to be lean, like, like any startup would, um, you know, but that certainly wasn't the case in my first startup, where we didn't have that network. So I think it's all in the context of, your business, where you are today, to your point, the resources that you have, um, because we've got to find a way to do a lot with the very little that we do have as founders, whether we've raised money or not. Yeah, yeah. I'm always interested in, in thinking about it's one thing having a network of contacts and then it's another um, knowing how to reach out to them, who to reach out to. How do you sort of manage that is it a case of you 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 identify maybe key influential people within your network and you think this message is really important for them i'll get in touch with them or or is it a case of just 
do you spend days on end just reaching out to people? How does that work? No, no, I haven't spent day, I haven't had days on end. It's it's actually the former, not the latter. I've had to be and and anyone who knows me, they know I'm Mr. BD sales guy. If I could just do that only, that would be I would be super excited about that. No, I've had to be in fact just the opposite now as the CEO of Uplink. Um extremely selective with my time. In fact, I spend very little time on marketing and sales and be just because I just don't have it. Um, but that being said, to your to answer your question is, I, I look at the business where where the business is today. And where do I want to be in the short term? I'm not worried about even three years from now, but like, where do I want to be in the next three months? And how do I get there? What's the path of least resistance? So as an example, if I know that, you know, today we're at a certain stage, but in the next three months, I want to raise a specific financing round and I need to get three customer commitments. And it's unlikely I'm going to get contracts in that time, but maybe I can get letters of intent. So... <clears throat> What is the path of least resistance to get three letters of intent? And I'm just making this up, by the way. What is the path of least resistance to get three letters of intent in the next 90 days? And then based on that objective, I will think about, okay, who in my network can I go to that will have access to help me meet that objective? And that's ultimately how you know, I would make a decision for that period of time. Yeah, that's really interesting because a lot of what you read and what you hear, um, particularly online, is all about planning for the future, plan your three-year plan or your five-year plan and set out all of your goals. And I, I've always felt you need to sort of take care of what's right in front of you, surely. And is, that's kind of what you're saying. Is that, is that the philosophy you've always had, would you say, that it's about thinking about the next step rather than well, obsessing about yeah, I wouldn't obsess on a three or five year plan. Certainly you do have to think about it. I'm not I'm not discounting thinking about the future. But um, you know, Stanford University did a study years ago and they looked at something like thirty five thousand startups in various stages, various industries. And I'll just give you one statistic that came out of you know, many statistics came out of that, but the prevalent was ninety two percent of all startups fail. So the odds are against us as founders, as entrepreneurs. Now they fail for different reasons, but you know the way I look at it is, what do I need to do to keep this company alive in the next three months or in the next six months so we don't run out of money and that there's an interest level there from the market, whether that be investors, whether that be customers, uh, resellers, employees, whatever it is. And um, and then try to achieve that because, quite frankly, I could have the best three-year plan in the world, but if I run out of cash in six months because I didn't meet those objectives, I didn't get those LOIs, and I didn't get the investment I needed, then who cares? <laughs> then it's a moot point. So I think it it has to be uh, there. Definitely has to be a balance. But if you don't think about the initial short term. Uh, especially so early on, um, you know, like chances are you could be in that 92 percentile. And I certainly don't want Uplink to be in that percentile. So I'm doing everything I can to to make sure we're not. Yeah. And and so through the through the journey you've been through with 
with various startups are there are there kind of patterns that that ring true for all of them that you've you've gone through and you think actually yeah they these I've had to focus on the exact same things each time or is it always entirely different you know i i mean there are certainly common threads i i i'd say that but i would also tell you that like all human beings we're all we're all special we're all unique um every situation is its own so you know my first startup i was in a completely different situation i was you know a lot you know you know a lot younger you know again we've talked about how young i am so again thank you but you know i was with a, a partner who was quite a bit older than i was you know we had you know our business was in a different position had you know a certain amount of revenue you know and all those things and it was a different time it was like the late 90s right completely different time than today. So in the context of that business, is it easy to say, you know, take everything you did back then and do it today? No, but there's certainly things that you can leverage from an experience point of view that help you in the context of, well, in my case, what I'm doing today in Uplink. And I will tell you that certainly my experience um, has been a tremendous resource for me. Um, in terms of getting uplink to where it is today, but it's every day is a new day, and I'm faced with challenges in some cases that I've actually never even seen before. So um, you have to be able to be flexible and be able to pivot and be able to react and be nimble, like most startups are. And, and just going back to the to the point about um, the importance of relying on your network of, of contacts, how. I suppose now more than ever, um, people kind of starting off in their careers, particularly at the moment, probably have to rely on online networking. They can't kind of go out and meet people as easily. Um, do you have any sort of tips for anyone that would be, you know, from your experience, how do you go about building a really strong, reliable network? Are there certain things you should be encouraging yourself to do more of to, to do that? Yeah, well, you just got it. Look, if you don't have one, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Everybody starts, by the way, everybody starts at the same place. Nobody starts on top. Like, there's no, like, you know, everybody, we all start, pretty much all of us started at the same place, you know, with no network, no money, and, like, what are we going to do? So I, I would say it, it in that regard, there's a lot of similarities in terms of you just got to get out there. And today with social media, wow. I could argue it's uh, actually even easier to meet people because you're able to build a brand online, you'll be able to contribute content. There are so many different uh, avenues today, uh, both you know on the business side, on the consumer side, where you can literally meet people um, online in a virtual environment and establish some type of rapport and they can become you know, they can assist you on your journey. So I would actually argue that today the opportunities are much more available to uh, individuals who don't have the established networks uh, because of social media, because of, you know, the communication systems that we have in place today. Uh, whereas back, you know, kind of in the mid-90s, like we were just kind of at the beginning of all that and there wasn't really it was like 
you know, picking up the phone and trying to get a meeting, that was a much, much more difficult uh, journey. Yeah. And how about the, I suppose, because there are lots of advantages to um, online communication, social media channels, but, but there's also a lot of noise. Uh, how how does a founder or a new company or an individual wanting to build their own brand kind of cut yeah. through that noise? You know, that's a great point. Um, every industry is competitive and, you know, even in a non-competitive situation, if I'm trying to call on a buyer, um, they're being called on by other companies, whether they're competing with Uplink or not, but they're still taking mind share away from, from the buyer. So to your point, it's noise. Um, that's the challenge. Like, look, it's, it, it, it is absolutely one of the most important things. Uh, actually, there's um, someone I've been following for a while here in, in Canada, and she talks about messaging and positioning, and she basically says, if you get your messaging and positioning wrong, your sales and marketing fail. If your sales and marketing fail, your business fails. And that's something I completely subscribe to. So how do you get it right? Um, you know, you talk to as many customers as possible. You listen to the market. You identify what those market signals are. Uh, some of us are better at it than others. And you react accordingly. And um, I'm not sure that the playbook is the same in all cases. Sometimes um, you get it right fairly quickly, and other times you don't. And I will tell you, even with Uplink, this has been the most difficult journey I've ever been on from a messaging and positioning point of view. And and you know when we really started to look at this later in, you know, er, well, earlier this year, but sort of latter half of Q1 of, of, of 2021, like it was a very, very raw and rough message. And I would tell you, I had no idea how we were going to solve the problem that I knew existed. I, I really didn't know. Um, I had some ideas, but they were really rough. And I would tell you it took a period of six months, uh, whereas we did customer interviews. We you know, put together some marketing and positioning statements and ran them by um, you know, potential customers, potential partners. I just met with a bunch of people in the market, a lot smarter than I am, a lot more experienced, and got their thoughts on, in my case, where's global small business banking going? And slowly, slowly, over time, that message started to crystallize for, for us um, to the point where, you know, we are today and I think we, you know, we're, we're pretty comfortable on that. But even then, you're always got to look at the market and because markets shift and markets change. And if you don't react accordingly... Um, you could very easily get left behind. So we're always we're always learning, we're always listening, and we're always evolving. Mm. And and that that sort of process and, and deciding that you deciding on the messaging and the, the positioning should that always fall to the founder, or is it is it best spread across a team of people? Do you recruit in people? How have you approached that? 
Um, well, I can tell you in Upling's case, it, um, it spread over a few people and we actually brought in an independent third party to help us with this process. Um, you know, again, we were fortunate that we were in a position that we were able to do that um, from a resource perspective and in that case financially. And, you know, in a lot of cases, startups just don't have that as an option. So I would certainly make sure that I had the right people in the room as part of this process. And I would go through a process from doing customer interviews to creating personas of potential buyers and, you know, to reading information and reports and, you know, what are the latest analytics as related to your specific segment. And from that, start to form an idea of how you want to, you know, you want to go to market and, and kind of go with it accordingly. So, um, like I said, I've been fortunate enough that I have enough people around me and that we had the resources where we could bring in someone independent, unbiased uh, to help us with this process. And even then, after we went through this, we still we still weren't where we needed to be and it still took a couple more months. So it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to do. And I would also add, can I add one other thing? Um, so in my previous startup, what I'd actually seen was we'd gone to market with a certain messaging and positioning which, which you know, we all felt was, was right. And somewhere along the line, I started seeing the market change. And what I mean by that is the conversations that I was having, you know, at a specific point in time were completely different thematically from what I was having six months prior. And to me, I didn't know exactly why, because it's like you're in it, right? Sometimes you need to step away from it. But I took that as a market signal that something's going on here and that if we continue to go down the road we're going today in 18 months, you know, we're going to be a commodity. So, you know, so what I would say is, you know, always listen to the market and the market is defined really by your customers, the people you're selling to, uh, your, your resellers, your partners, um, and adjust accordingly. So it's a lesson I learned just recently, first hand. Mm. Yeah, and it, it sounds like going through that process, you, you're always taking in new information. How how do you go about collating that information? Because there must be loads of lessons you're learning all of the time. Is it a, literally a case of just writing them down in a notebook? Or do you have a sort of somewhere it all gets logged as things the company has learned? You know, what, how do you do that? Or is it all in your head? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, you know, when it first started happening, I'll just talk to my own process. Like, you don't even really kind of realize, you're, oh, that's odd. That's an interesting comment, like from a potential customer. I haven't heard that before. You know, you might, you don't even see it as a, as a pattern because it's the first, second, or third time. But once it starts to become a theme, um, you know, yeah, then I think I'd say it's all of the above. You know, in my case, making notes. Uh, actually developing presentations internally, just for myself, my, you know, others on, on the team. 
starting to dig deeper into some of the articles and uh, research reports that are coming out by third parties. Um, not that we're not doing that anyways, but maybe taking a much more serious look at it and making more time to do it because you're busy running your business day to day as we all are. Um, and then, yeah, it got to a certain point where you've got all of this information. You realize, like, in my case, the market was telling, telling something, saying something. And, you know, for me at Uplink, I've got this incredible opportunity to, you know, take those lessons, take those conversations and really apply them into a solution that I think is going to be very meaningful ultimately to, to get dollars into the hands of small business, uh, small businesses all over the world. Um, so that's very exciting for us. Yeah, for sure. So how, how at Uplink, how is the, the team structured? Do you have, um, you know, how big is the team? Is there a product team and then a, or is it at the moment, is it just a group of founders? Uh, yeah. So, so no, no, we've started hiring some people, um, you know, there's there's one additional co-founder. There's uh, a couple of full-time uh, staff members. We're currently in recruitment. We're actually looking for a head of product in a, in an exact search, and that's because we know that's a critical role, and it's not an easy role to fill. So, you know, we've retained uh, a search firm to help us with that. Um, and then we have also a bunch of you know, independent contractors that, you know, get paid a lot of money <laughs> to, to help us do do different things. So, you know, if you if you look at sort of, you know, who's who's an early stage employee and and the contractors that are involved, I mean, you know, we have we still have a small team, but I'd say we're we're in the neighborhood of, of nine or ten. Um, so we're excited. We're little, we're small, we're we're the little guy, the little gal. We're a small business and we're going to kick and claw and scratch and, you know, make our way in the world like every every good small business should. Yeah, good stuff. So um, moving the conversation on a little bit, something I so I wanted to ask a bit about the other companies you've, you've been involved with. I mean, in particular, the, I, I read on your I think it was your LinkedIn profile. You mentioned that, you know, four time tech founder, two successful global exits and one flop, two. Um, and in brackets, you put not perfect. So I suppose if we could start with just the the, one, the flop that you mentioned, because I think you can yeah. always learn a lot from, from those things. What oh, was the story yeah. there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Um, so I had just come out of a, like a 12-year uh, successful journey uh, with a company called Carlton One now. They're called Carlton One. And um, Accolade was that what was to become that flop. Um, it was really interesting because the idea I had for Accolade was spun out of the experience I had previously. And um, I can tell you that the idea was spot on from a strategy perspective, from a product perspective. And in the context of it being 2011, right, um, it, it really made a lot of sense. And I have evidence to support that and I can share with you in, at a different time or later on if you like. But the point is I went into it with all the wrong, with the wrong attitude. 
quite frankly. I was feeling really good about myself. Hey, you know, 12 years, did very well. Um, I, I, I was almost uh, like, I, w I don't know if arrogant is the right word, but uh, I certainly, um, I thought I, you know, just after this run, I, you know, I'm not gonna make any mistakes. I can't do any wrong. And that blinded me in a lot of, that created a lot of blinders for me. And, um, you know, decided to partner with some people, chose the wrong partners. Uh, the operation and execution of what we needed to do uh, was horrific. I brought in others, but ultimately, you know, it was on me, you know. Um, you know, the success would have been on me, uh, but the failure was, you know, 100% on me. And I have to tell you, it 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 kicked the, the, the shit out of me. It was tough, and i sorry if that's a bad word, but it was it was tough. It was really humbling, and um, you know, really grounded me. Knowing, okay, you know, I'm not all that, so I've got to clear that. Go into any new situation with a, you know, a different perspective, and like almost start again. Um, so it was, uh, like I said, it was a very difficult experience. Uh, a very humbling experience, um, and you know it's funny because it's one that I I actually remember the most out of all of them. I always think back about Accolade because it was such a good business idea, and the what it was the right time in the right market. And um, I always say I I think sometimes, man, if I could have just done that. So how do I take that? I don't dwell. But how do I take that and make sure that that doesn't happen again? And that keeps me grounded. Okay. And and what was the what was the thing that immediately followed Accolade? What did you do? Yeah. So I was I you know I I don't consider myself to be a founder in this company, but I'm I'm humbled because you know the people who brought me in, especially the CEO, they actually always call me a founder, and they always treated me like that. And really good guys. And um, it, it was just an incredible experience. It was about taking an idea out of somebody else's head uh, and seeing if we could, you know, build a business out of that. And we had, um, we had a lot of fun doing it over five years. It was an idea in 2013 that at the time it was early. It was, it was probably, it was probably three years, at least three years early for what it was. It was, and it was a brilliant idea. I give, you know the CEO and the CTO of the company a lot of a lot of credit uh, for that, but we just grinded. We just grinded like uh, I was literally on planes three out of four weeks. The UK, by the way, was my second home. The Royal Horse Guards. I had a rate with them that it was just incredible. I always remember the rate. I mean, they knew me. My room, like they had the exact room like ready for me every time I was there. It was crazy. I mean. I was on a plane. Uh, I basically I flew to Australia for one day to do a meeting, flew home. It was that kind of life. And we almost went bankrupt several times. Um, but again, we were able to work through that and you know eventually things turned around. and you know, coming out of that, um, it, it was great. i've 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 learned a lot and you know made some some good friends and actually the CEO and I are, 
probably better better friends today than we were when we were working together. Uh, and you mentioned before as well, uh, company was it Carlton One? Um, yeah. Am I right in thinking that was your first startup? Yeah, first tech startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I joined. Uh, now I'm going to date myself. Uh, that company in uh, sort of midway or three quarters of the way through '99. That was the year, and um, that that was that company was it wasn't doing very well. It was a traditional marketing services company and. Really, what I did at the time with the CEOs, we just we pivoted and we 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 went and we focused on building out a technology uh, for the incentive and reward space. Was at the time wasn't really uh, available, and out of that we built a business. And you know, I, I learned a lot from him. Um, we were together for I, it was almost twelve years. So, and again, like any startup, ups and downs. But it was it, it it was a it was a great learning experience, and I I wouldn't trade that in. I wouldn't trade any of them in for anything. You know, I think to your point earlier, whether you know success, the failures teach you as much, if not more, than successes. And every one of these experiences, I've taken as you know the glass being half full versus being half empty. Yeah, and and you mentioned there that you, the kind of company pivoted and, and did something different. That's quite a bold thing to do isn't it to sort of change something that's potentially working whether it's working well or not is you know you're still sort of changing the status quo and what how how was that experience and did you have to sort of do you have to convince others to go along with you uh are you talking about the carlton um no because uh, because at the time no that company was very close to being out of business and you know, it wasn't about convincing. It was like, look, are you interested in going into this space? I might be able to bring in two or three customers within, you know, 60 to 90 days. And when, you know, you're kind of clinging to life and someone tells you that, like, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. Just go. So I was able to do that. And then what that did was it's it started you know, we were running kind of both businesses together under the one brand, but then over time we migrated to to this, what ended up becoming this full pivot because we saw there was an incredible market opportunity there at that time and in the context of what we were doing. And, um, you know, we were we were seeing some success. So, and that's how we got into that business, so. Okay. Um, something else I wanted to ask about was earlier on in the in the conversation. You said um, you mentioned that you would, if you could, you would love to spend all of your time doing business development and sales. Um, with, with that hat on, what uh, throughout your career have you noticed any particular? What delivers a well qualified lead? Are there any tactics or marketing initiatives that deliver really good leads into a sales team? Oh wow! Uh, okay. Um... Yeah, I mean, again, everything is in the context of of the business you're in. Uh, I mean, there are so many playbooks out there, right, that have been written about lead generation and building sales processes and, you know, what makes a good lead versus not. Um, you, know, it, you know, ultimately, I think it starts by having the right messaging. And I think you touched on it earlier, Paul. It's it's so important 
that the messaging and branding and positioning of your business is crystal clear to a potential buyer or anybody because there is so much noise out there. So if you've got that and you've been able to quantify that you have that, then the ability to qualify a lead will be that much easier. And the ability to move that lead throughout the sales cycle will be all that much easier. And ultimately, it's a numbers game, you know, the, the funnel, the upside down triangle. The more you talk to, you know, ultimately, the more business you get at the end of the day. At least that's, in theory, how it should work. But it does start with messaging and positioning. And what I've seen is, you know, when you're not, when you're, you're, your messaging isn't right, that's when you struggle with, with A, either getting leads or B, you get leads, but they're, they're crap. They're not qualified. And that's because the company as a whole is not positioning itself in the market in the right way. So to me, messaging and positioning is where the sales process starts. And that's why I put so much effort and time into it through every journey I've been on. But it's, you know, especially now with Uplink, I will tell you, I knew we were struggling with that. I knew in a night. And when you're struggling with it and you know you're struggling with it, it's even more frustrating. And it took us, like I said, about six months to get really, really comfortable with where we are today. Okay. Um, so something I wanted to sort of move on to is understanding a bit more about or kind of advice you would give to others. Um, and I mean, the first sort of thing I wanted to ask about in terms of that was, and you, you've already kind of touched on this, but are there any key differences to, so when you were working with, with Carlton One back in the late 90s compared to to now starting Uplink, are there any things you think, um, yeah, I'm definitely doing this differently now, knowing what I know now, or is the process much the same? You know, what, what's changed in all, all that time? Well, a lot's changed in that time. First of all, I've gotten I've gotten quite a few years older, but you know, unfortunately, my body uh, knows that all too well. But obviously, we live in a different world, right? I mean, with with technology and social media and communication and all of these incredible tools that we have today, uh, certainly on the sales and marketing side, we never had any of this stuff back then. Like all of these, um, you know, wonderful, you know, tools. Like it was like the old day, man. You would roll up your sleeve. You would just cold call somebody. You would hope to get them on the phone and convince them to come and meet you, uh, or do at least a phone conference call. So it was, it was, a, it was a lot more difficult. Um, so what I would tell you is, you know, there, there's the world has definitely changed. So obviously, uh, because of that you know, a lot of things you do differently, but at the core of what we're trying to do as a business really ultimately remains the same is, you know, go to market with the right message, delivering the right product that ultimately solves a business problem and just taking care of our customers, like being obsessive about that. Um, you know, it, that that from uh, its core DNA hasn't changed for me, um, and will always you know whether we're in 2021 or 23 
whatever, and I'm not here. I, I mean, I think that's ultimately the, you know, the, the breadth of the business. Now, a lot of, like I said, the tools around that have changed. Um, the speed in which things are done is a lot different today than it was 25 years ago or so. But I think at the core, like I said, at least from my perspective, a lot of it is the same and we draw off of the experiences that we go through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so one thing I, I normally ask, ask most of my guests at the end of conversations is what advice would they have for, for others who are perhaps at the start of, of a similar journey? What would you tell them to focus on? And I think from, from what you've said already, you know, particularly for someone who wants to be a founder, it's, I think it's probably fair to say you want to focus on getting your messaging right um, and you also want to focus on having a strong network. Uh, you know, are they the things you would say focus on? Well, I, I mean, certainly from a, a business perspective, uh, that makes a lot of sense, no, no doubt. Um, you know, what I would tell you is uh, on the human side, it's, you know, the people you surround yourself with are going to be the most important people in your journey. And, um, you know, for me, what's worked for me is um, just always trying to be, you know, empathetic to people. Empathy has always been something that I've tried to have. I'm not always the most sensitive person. I can be, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a bulldog uh, at times, no doubt. But at the end of the day, for me, the core of who I am is I care about people. And, you know, I, I try to, I try to relate and put myself in their spot if certainly in, in times of difficulty. And, um, you know, I, I, I would just encourage entrepreneurs to think like that and uh, to think like that, not just about employees they bring in, but advisors, investors, um, what kind of people do you want to surround yourself with? What, how do those people define who you are as a person? Um, do their core values align to who you are as a person? And, you know, so I would just encourage that any founder, um, you know, just do a deep dive on that and, a, you know, a soul search on that and make sure that a lot of those boxes are ticked off because you can have the best messaging in the world and all of that, you can raise a ton of money. But if some of these other things, these human components um, aren't realized, um, you know, the likelihood is, again, you'll end up in that 92 percentile and nobody wants to be in Stanford's 92 percentile. Thank you, as always, to my guest, Ron Menegby. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please visit us at financialmarketeer.com where you can listen to all of the other episodes in the series. So until next time, take care.